Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another, well, I guess our first spooky week here in Wisconsin. Um, I'm alone here in the Battleground Wisconsin studio with our producer, Brian Wildrich, because Claire Zalke, the Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action, and Robert Craig, the Executive Director, are gone. They're at a healthcare convention uh, in fact, I believe it's the Families USA convention, but it's good. They are on via phone. Claire, good to have you. Hi, welcome to be here, although I can't see you. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. And uh, Robert is also with us. Robert, good to have you. Always oh, good to be with both of you or all of you, including the producer. Yeah, yeah. Well, so <laughs> Brian says thank you. So, Tell us a little bit more uh, before we jump into our conversations. We are, just to let listeners know, we're going to talk about the state of the state. We're also going to give a little bit of an update on uh, elections here in 2020. We had some movement here in the legislature, update on the voter purge. And some news, uh, believe it or not, uh, the Wisconsin Association of School Boards is making news today. We'll talk more about that. But first, uh, Robert and Claire... Tell our listeners a little bit more about the Families USA Convention and why both of you are there, and it's so important. Claire, I don't know if you want to take the lead, but like, where are you, and why are why are two of our top minds there? <laughs> um, anytime you get to be called the top mind is a special day, right? Um, so yeah, we are Robert and I are in Washington D.C. Uh, this week for the Families USA uh, Health Advocacy conference and it is a national gathering of state advocates and national uh, advocates like ourselves um, to get together, um, share what's happening on the ground in their states, uh, learn from one another, uh, pick up some new uh, organizing skills, communication skills, um, some new policy information, and hopefully be able to take that knowledge back to our states to make a difference. Uh, so we are we're having a great time connecting with our colleagues from, uh, from across the country. Um, it's really interesting to hear all of the things that we uh, have in common, um, trends that exist sort of nationally, um, and also how they, uh, how these states' uh, situations diverge from one another in really interesting um, and sometimes challenging ways. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's really it's really a lot of fun, and I look forward to uh, taking some of these ideas that we're getting back to citizen action. Robert, any thoughts on the convention? Well, it's the 25th uh, anniversary of the Health Action Conference, the largest kind of convening of 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 healthcare advocates that we're involved in, and we're talking about reform advocates, not industry types at all. I assume they have big gatherings as well. Uh, and uh, there are headline speakers as well. It's a big enough gathering. So we just heard from California Attorney General Javier Becerro, who has sued the Trump administration 67 times, uh, most famously to defend the Affordable Care Act when the Trump administration wouldn't even do their constitutional duty to defend it. Uh, the law against uh, a law, another lawsuit to attempt to take health care away from 20 million people. Well, look forward to having you both back and, you know, obviously taking the knowledge that you learned at the uh, uh, Families USA convention and apply it to our work here. Uh, while you were gone yesterday, last night 
uh, Governor Evers did his state of the state. This is his second state of the state for those of you uh, keeping score. I know it's a tough tally. Um, and wanted to talk a bit about it. Um, get your thoughts, since I know while uh, both of you are away, you certainly tracked and uh, might have even gotten a chance to listen to it. Um, I do want to have a deeper conversation about what the governor had to say around insulin and prescription drugs. Uh, but I want to start, actually, uh, by uh, mentioning, and Robert, get your thoughts. Uh, the governor started, he was talking about climate and raising up uh, the work of the lieutenant governor on the climate task force, which... We just, you know, this is an issue that you just can't move uh, swift and with, uh, you know, swiftly enough on. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the governor's highlighting of that. Well, first, I, I just want to say as a someone with a rhetoric PhD, and I some people think I'm making that up. I really do. You can look it up. Have a PhD in rhetoric. Want to say a that rhetorician a might lie about always- that. Though. I'm just kidding, Robert. Yeah, that a speech has to be appropriate to the speaker. There are too many speeches in politics where a writer wrote it and it's not in the speaker's character. This is an excellent speech because it does sound like the authentic voice of Tony Evers because it is very constructive, despite the Republican pre-press conference claiming how divisive it was going to be and how divisive and partisan he is, and very constructive. Particularly on the, uh, if you if you look at it on the scale of state of the union to the state of the state generally, I believe if Robin Voss wants to complain, let's compare how divisive it is to Trump's coming state of the union um, in a couple weeks. Uh, and so it, it's good that way. In addition, I thought it was great that he started out with climate and uh, recognizing the state now recognizes that the climate crisis. And it depended appointed Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes to lead the process. And he really had some good shout-outs to Lieutenant Governor Barnes, one of Battleground Wisconsin's favorite elected officials at the beginning. Um, I also thought that, I mean, we can talk about other aspects and dig in more, Matt, but I thought that, and I know we'll get into health care, but I just want to say that I thought the handling of the redistricting issue, the gerrymandering issue, was excellent because we know that the Republicans are going to try to gerrymander the state again and, in fact, even go to their right-wing Supreme Court to try to pull the governor out of the process to get their way. And we know this is an illegitimate legislature because of these maps. There should be a, a, a Democrat majority in the state assembly based on the turnout and vote in 2018, and there's a supermajority the other way for Speaker Voss. And so setting it up in terms of having a people's process and starting that process and having a and, uh, and having a commission, that was all really good setup to try to really make it damaging for them to try to rig this process again, which is the strongest power he has, given that we have such an illegitimate, uncredible state Supreme Court that has been bought by big money that will be, that has been just in the pocket of Republican office holders. So, Claire, I want to get your thoughts both overall, as Robert did, but then also any particular thoughts maybe around climate. Great. Uh, So I am not a climate expert, um, but overall, um, I agree with Robert that I think that this 
uh, speech is just what uh, Governor Evers does well. You know, he highlighted what he's proud of. He talked about visiting the state um, and all the with the, the lieutenant governor and uh, going to all the different counties and hearing from people. Right, and I think that is sort of been the theme of his first year um, is that he wants to connect with people, and that's why he, they branded their budget the People's Budget. Uh, so I think this was on on brand and on theme for what they wanted to do. I mean, I, I appreciate that. Um, I There's a little piece in the budget, uh, or excuse me, um, in the um, State of the Union, which is not something we've talked about a lot, but that I think definitely deserves to be called out, which was uh, that he reestablished hearing parole appeals uh, in the state. And I know we haven't talked extensively about justice reform or justice system reform very much, but I, I wanted to call that out specifically. Uh, I had a friend in grad school who uh, worked in the office um, under um, for an internship under Governor Walker when they would talk about uh, she, she would talk about the letters that would get written, the hard, just heart-wrenching letters that would get written asking for um, him to consider an appeal of just, just horrendous miscarriages of justice and people whose lives had changed. And um, and and she talked about how heart-wrenching it was to have to write back with just a form letter from the governor saying, you know, sorry, this is falling on deaf ears, I don't care. And so I think it speaks to um, the governor's humanity um, that, uh, that that's something that he reestablished in this state. And then also, uh, you know, there was not a whole a whole lot of healthcare related stuff in the state of the state address. I'm certainly glad that he is calling out the rising prices of insulin. It's something that we've been talking a lot about here at the Disconnection, and it's something at this um, conference that Robert and I are at right now um, that's getting a lot of attention as well. So across the country, um, on the state and federal level, people are talking about the rising cost of prescription drugs, especially insulin. So I'm really glad that he's focusing on that. I wish there had been a little bit more about healthcare in there, um, but you know that's just from my own selfish perspective. I acknowledge that he um, had to cover a lot of different topics, and uh, I'm excited to to work with the administration and the legislature on this insulin bill. I would like to say that I think it could be an opportunity to include maybe a package of legislation around insulin and prescription drug pricing, not just this one bill. Um, I think it's always best to to shoot for something bigger, something bolder, and then if you have to negotiate down a little bit, uh, you know we could end up in a place of just doing an insulin cap or insulin price cap. But, you know, why not try, why not try for more? Why not try for, uh, you know, some importation and a price cap? Why not try for some transparency or some affordability board legislation, right? Let's, let's see how far we can, how far we can push it and book to make the biggest difference. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's starting that conversation. And with that, we are going to take our first break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll talk more about the State of the Union after these messages. Welcome back. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking about the state of the state address. I think before the break, I think I called it the State of the Union, Brian. I'm looking at my producer. <sighs> Old age. Uh, we're talking about the state of the state. Uh, we, we've spent some time talking about climate and some of the, a uh, uh, couple of the other issues, uh, but want to mention before we talk more about prescription drugs, um, want to mention uh, the, the, the whole People's Maps Commission, because uh, Robert, you brought this up 
I do think it's huge and important because right, we're heading into an election year. And I think the governor did a really good job of pointing out that, right, like it this we're when you have universal background checks, you know, at eighty percent support, you have medical marijuana at eighty percent support, you have Medicaid accepting badger care at seventy percent plus support, and you can't even have a discussion of these things or move them. Um, that that screams to redistricting, um, and I do want to mention right Hans Britton Moser, one of our um, co-op members, and he's a county board member um, from uh, in in central Wisconsin, was at the state of the state and specifically called out for his organizing work on fair maps, and it was it was an excellent part, even down to the people's the 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 branding of the people's maps commission. Because this is an issue that, quite frankly, uh, people have moved. And people, there's been an amazing education job done over the last four or five years that has taken a very esoteric issue. And it is starting to make it you know, a critical issue that people are understanding. Um, if we don't address it, it absolutely chokes uh, representative democracy. And so I thought that that was very effective. I do want to underscore before we get into the discussion of prescription drugs what Claire was talking about. I do agree there wasn't enough on, like, it's not enough to just kind of say, well, you know, because um, we have gerrymandering, we can't move on any of those three issues, particularly the Medicaid expansion, and it's just kind of written off. I hope there is an aggressive agenda to continue to raise that issue and other healthcare issues because it will be the dominant issue and we can't just say, oh, well, that's, we can't do anything about that, you know, gerrymandering. And I'm not saying that was said, but like, Claire, I hear you. I think we should be talking. And Matt, that would, that, that's an area I would have liked to have heard a little more on. Anyways, Robert, your thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to say I agree on the fair maps. And here's something folks need to understand. By the way, Hans Britton uh, Moser, I should point out, our member in Lincoln County, who's one of the founding members, I believe, of the Fifth Nation North Central Wisconsin Organizing Co-op, has been extremely active on this issue. Uh, Hans, it, it's well-deserved that he would represent this movement. He's just been tireless about the, about the issue, and in a critical area of the state where, you know, there's a lot of Republicans up there that need to hear him. And I think shifting public opinion, which is what Governor Evers is seeking to do with his bully pulpit here, is critical because don't let that they always claim that they just look at the law, but courts absolutely think about public opinion in the back of their minds when they make decisions. And so if the state Supreme Court thinks they're going to totally discredit themselves by rubber stamping an unconstitutional end around by Robin Boss and the state leg and the Republican state legislature then uh, that the, the idea there might that the, it would be that the public would react very strongly against it with a governor uh, back uh, standing with them and mobilizing them would be powerful. I would also agree with Claire Claire's remarks about boldness. I said this was an ideal speech for Governor Evers and his brand, and the way it's written is very well executed, uh, but. On a lot of issues, it would it would he could stand to have a bolder vision of where we need to go, and I think on on criminal justice reform, Claire's quite right to point out uh, that he's doing some good things, but he ran on cutting the, the prison population in half uh, in a decade, and his state budget did not reflect that at all. In fact, in many ways, it adopted a lot of 
a continued a lot of Scott Walker policies. So he's done that a little bit with some good constructive reforms and having an appeals board is very good and a pardon board, I mean, but there needs to be more. So I don't want the said that Battleground Wisconsin ever is just a cheerleader for Democrat elected officials. We will say what's good and what we think they should do to be even bolder and stronger and, and, and more persuasive. Claire? I agree with that. I have not much more to add. Okay, great. So, Robert, uh, want to take an opportunity, in Robert and Claire, to chat a little bit about prescription drugs. Um, article today, came out today in the Wisconsin Examiner, talking about this issue in particular, the complete and utter nothing that's coming out of the Trump administration and actually uh, stopping important legislation that actually would is fairly significant. Robert, your thoughts uh, get... Help, help explain this uh, to, to our listeners. So, and I have a column in the uh, Wisconsin Examiner, which, as Matt has been uh, doing a good job of uh, using in social media, I think, and a lot of us think, is rapidly becoming uh, one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable, news sources in Wisconsin. So, so listeners who are not reading the Wisconsin Examiner, we highly recommend it. Uh, there are other great outlets as well that we like a lot, but they're doing a great job, and it's a great collection of reporters. And so in the column, I talk about Donald Trump's promise to, uh, to lower prescription drug prices and his complete lack of delivery on that, because he is, of course, a populist in, uh, when it comes to, to the public interest, only rhetorically, if even then. But in practice, he's always with the big interest, and there could be no bigger interest than Big Pharma. And point out the bill that uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have an excellent obstruction drug bill uh, that would allow us to negotiate for prices at HR3. And he has already indicated that he is against it. And so is Speaker McConnell, of course, where all good uh, legislation goes to die in the U.S. Senate. Uh, and he here's where the stakes are. You take insulin. And that's why it's great that Governor Evers is proposing a cap on the price, which is a nice first step on this issue. But it's really good because one in four uses of insulin either rations their use of it, uh, these are diabetics, or can't afford it at all. And this is completely unnecessary. This is a drug that's been around for 100 years. It's because of a monopoly that government policy has created. It's being employed by big pharmaceutical companies, first and foremost, the biggest maker being Eli Lilly which Matt and Claire uh, made $9 billion uh, last year. And as part of the uh, Trump tax cut, got a big tax break. And so they, in fact, paid zero in taxes. And apparently $9 billion is not enough. They need to jack up the price of insulin, which literally risks the lives of diabetics. It's a very controllable chronic condition. They have no... I mean, for them to take a drug that's been on the market forever, that was developed in the first place with public money, as most drugs are, and then exercise this sort of monopoly that they've been able to get with their ill-gotten political power, and it's just outrageous. This is not something we should allow to happen. We don't let child labor happen. Why do we allow any more? We used to. Why do we let big pharma to profit in this fashion off of the lives and, and the health of, of, of Americans? Claire? 
Yeah, I'll agree with all of that. Um, and just to put some numbers behind it, uh, some of the state advocates that uh, we've been meeting at this conference um, are also working on prescription drug reform, and we've been sharing some data. And so I have a little bit of packet of information here. And, um, you know, one of the common arguments that we hear from uh, drug manufacturers is that um, they have to charge these exorbitant prices because they spent so much on research. Um, and, it, and it's just not true. Um, we uh, in the United States, taxpayers pay twice um, for our drugs. We, we pay in our taxes to the NIH, the National Institute of Health, to uh, who actually does the research for these drugs, uh, and then drug manufacturers take that research and, and develop drugs. Um, and then we pay again when we go to the pharmacy. Um, and to, just to hammer this home, drug companies often spend twice as much on advertising in the U.S. as they do on research. And so this argument that, that they're spent, that they have to charge really high prices, they can develop new drugs, is, is just um, because they're actually spending all of their money on lobbying and advertising. So in 2015, for example, Johnson & Johnson spent um, about $8.2 billion, uh, billion with a B, on research spending, but they spent $17.5 billion on advertising. Um, and and so you see that um, they're really invested in their own wealth and their own greed and not in our health uh, because those numbers would be inversed uh, if they were really invested in our health. Um, and, and again, we know that they can afford to sell these drugs at lower prices because they do in other countries. Um, so I have, I have asthma. Um, a lot of folks um, in our country also have asthma, and so we need to carry uh, rescue inhalers with us in case we have an asthma attack. A very common one is Advair. Um, and in the U.S., according to a study by John Hopkins, um, um, and the cost of, of that drug is about $3,000, um, but in the UK, Japan, and Canada, it's under five hundred. dollars uh, And so, again, we see that it is possible to sell these drugs for less money um, and for these companies to remain profitable. They just choose to not because it is in their own financial best interest to, to price gouge and um, to, to make us pay twice and to put our health at risk yeah, just because it's better financially for them. Robert, we can I just add to quickly to Claire's excellent comments, and that is, uh, it seems like there's no profit that's enough. It's not like it ends now, and we know that the whole healthcare system is controlled by these values, right? That we have a system that's set up like a casino where the whole system wants to extract as much money as possible, regardless of the consequences. But the two parts of it that are most clear to the public are the health insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry. But uh, make no mistake, these need to be first steps to reforming the business practices of the entire industry and striking the hand of democracy, that is the public, against private uh, capitalist kind of exploitation um, with no limits. In other words, this is kind of, this isn't just capitalism, this is uh, capitalism gone wild and in a feeding frenzy of money where the, where the collateral damage is of no concern to them whatsoever. So with that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. We'll obviously continue to talk more about prescription drugs. This is going to be a huge electoral issue going forward. I mean, uh, beyond just health care as an issue and some of the other issues we've talked about related to health care. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about elections here in Wisconsin. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. 
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, I'm Matt Brusky, the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Got our two panelists who are joining us via the phone, Claire Zauke and Robert Craig, and we're going to talk a little bit about the state elections coming up this year. Uh, some big news in the last week. We've had two Democratic state senators announce their resignation. The first one last week was uh, Senator Dave Hansen. Uh, from the Green Bay area. Um, Senator Hansen has been uh, first as a state rep, but then the state, the longtime state senator from an area where, quite frankly, he has been the only often state senator from the region um, and also a close ally of Citizen Action on health care and a number of other issues. Uh, but uh, he will be stepping down. Uh, also announced yesterday, or I believe two days ago, um, Senator Mark Miller, uh, and that is the area in Dane County, sort of uh, East Madison, uh, and he will be stepping down. And immediately, right away, uh, Representative Melissa Sargent jumped into that race um, of great interest. And just for folks to understand that district, the underlying assembly seats are Jimmy Anderson um, and also um, Gary Hebel, in addition to Melissa Sargent. So, Thoughts, um, Claire. Uh, get your thoughts on some of this news. We're gonna we're gonna definitely have transition here on the Democratic Party on the Senate side. You know, I, I feel pretty confident about um, being able to keep um, a Democrat in, in uh, Mark Miller's seat. Um, I certainly hope that we have a strong progressive in that seat of someone who's invested in co-governance with us. Um, on a personal level, I love Melissa Sargent. We were in the same eMERGE class um, <laughs> earlier in the in the 2010s. Um, and so she's a friend, and I'm, I'm excited for her race. Um, I also think that there are other good uh, state reps down there and um, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Um, I think um, that we um, are going to need to focus some attention on, on making sure that we have a strong successor to Dave Hansen. Um, he's obviously been a longtime ally of citizen action, um, somebody who, um, you know, practices co-governance with us and um, is, is close with our co-op members in that part of the state. So uh, I, I hope that um, we can have some, some strong allies uh, run in his seat. Uh, and I, I look forward to, to seeing how that pans out. Well, I agree with Claire about uh, Representative Melissa Sargent. She's been an excellent ally that we've worked with to develop policy together and then create a constituency board around the state. Uh, but being Madison, of course, I, they often have the – they're not like some parts of the state where it's hard to get one good candidate. They've had a lot of races with 10, 15 candidates. So I don't know for sure, but I guess I wouldn't be surprised if there are others. And we have a, we, we like Representative Hebel, but we really, really like Representative Anderson. I don't know if there's an agreement among the three assembly folks in that district to not challenge each other or not. It's too early to tell, but we'll find that kind of information out as we move forward. And then being Madison, there could be a lot of other candidates, but Melissa Sargent is a fantastic candidate, would make a wonderful uh, state senator. Uh, yeah, just on Melissa Sargent real quick, um, she is behind, for folks who care about the legalization of marijuana, and I'm talking about full legalization, and the kind that talks about equity and uh, making sure that people that have 
paid the most from this ridiculous uh, criminal justice system around uh, marijuana, but drugs in general uh, benefit from the profits when legalization comes, and it will come. Um, and also that the workers are organized. Uh, she's the lead of what I would describe as one of the better bills. And so she is exactly the kind of leader to move and hopefully on an area like that that's huge, not only just to uh, the right thing to do legally, but if you want to talk about going after mass incarceration, just it's, uh, it's a no-brainer. So I agree, though, with what everyone said. There will likely be others uh, and a strong candidates. Want to point out, though, the 30th, right, uh, the Green Bay area. It is bigger than just Green Bay, right? The seat goes um, up along, up into Marinette, along the western part of uh, the Green Bay area. And it is considered a, a swing district, the quintessential sort of 50-50 kind of district. So this will be... Um, this will be a major focus uh, for the Democrats uh, in a, an election where they're also trying to pick up additional seats. Um, any other thoughts folks have on that race or anything else? Um, particularly interested in getting any thoughts people might have about the presidential. Uh, there's been that continues to get close. Iowa is not far away. Robert? Can I just say a little bit about Senator Hanson? Absolutely. Uh, he is a founding member of the Citizen Action Northeast Wisconsin Co-op, organizing co-op, and he has been a true champion. I've considered him kind of, uh, he's, he's a very different personality, but almost the Bernie Sanders of the, the Northeast, so knowing that means a very different personality than Senator Sanders himself, and has always been a stall where we've worked with him constantly on issues and always has followed with his heart and his passion for representing people and is completely uninterested in what the, the lobby corps in, in the halls of the Capitol want, which unfortunately even a lot of Democrats listen to far too much. And so we're really going to miss Senator Hanson. And uh, he, he's just been had a wonderful career and has really represented his district pretty well, which is why he ran 20 points ahead of Trump in his district. Trump won his district. And he won overwhelming re-election last time, uh, even with big money spent against him. I agree with all of that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's a voice that's going to be missed in the state legislature. But knowing him, I'm sure he will not be um, a voice that's missed uh, in his in his home district because there's no way he could um, just leave public service behind. I'm sure he's going to continue to be an engaged and active citizen, and his voice uh, will be heard locally. And let, let me add, Matt, that, yep. look, Senator Miller has had a wonderful career as a true public servant, very progressive, but always conciliatory and trying to find a way to move things forward, starting the, in the, as a state assemblyman, was actually is actually the son of Mitch Miller, one of the uh, uh, really kind of trailblazers for, for strong uh, women representatives in, in state government in Wisconsin. It was a legend for those who knew her. I, I got the privilege of knowing her a little, and... Um, and, and meeting with her and I actually being called to Madison to speak when she decided I needed to, which I was more than happy to do. Uh, but I think you and I, Matt, remember once that uh, when Senator Miller, not yet better, ran for Senate, he was running against um, Tom Hebel, another state representative. So in other words, uh, Gary's brother, the current state representative, was a state representative and ran. And all of the insiders thought that Tom was also very good, was going to win. And uh, when we met in uh, the basement of the, of the Great Dane Bar, 
Uh, Mark pulled out his old school maps and proved to us why he was going to win that. And we were among the few who thought that was the case, and he was correct. He won the assess there. There's the primary going away against a very strong opponent. With that, though, we have um, about four minutes left uh, in this uh, segment. I do want to take some time to talk a little bit about, uh, get any thoughts about the presidential. We are really, really close to Iowa. Uh, CNN's out with a new poll. That's the first poll I've seen that has Bernie Sanders leading. I, I'm going to assume Biden, and this is a national poll, I'm going to assume Biden still continues to hold a slight lead. But folks, this continues to be an incredibly close election. And I think the big news this week was the dust-ups. It looks like the the Elizabeth um, Bernie dust-up went away, and uh, uh, Hillary Clinton jumped into the vacuum. Um, but it doesn't seem to be hurting Senator Sanders. Um, I do want to point out uh, to our members, uh, to, uh, we, we belong to a few national networks, but uh, our major national network, People's Action, has endorsed uh, um, Senator Sanders. Uh, we have a link to activities if you want to get involved. Another network we belong to, the Working Families Party, has endorsed uh, Senator Warren. We'll have information about something they're doing in Milwaukee, but uh, we just want to encourage people to get involved uh, in, in, in the election. Uh, any thoughts that uh, we got about a minute and a half uh, that anyone may have, uh, any of the other panelists, about the presidential? I just say this is as far as the polling. You're right. UK. I'm the one who always counsels against overreading polls and the margin of error. Uh, it's in the margin of error, but for the first time in the CNN poll, which has been going on quite consistently, Sanders has gone ahead of, Bi- of Biden, and they're both well ahead of the rest of the field. So perhaps it is actually. We'll see. It's going to depend on the dynamic through Iowa, New Hampshire, which have a huge influence on on the over all the other states that's been documented. But there's at least a hint here that perhaps Biden and Sanders might separate themselves as the leading candidates of the moderate and progressive wings of the party, respectively. I'm not saying anyone's out of the race. I think that Elizabeth Warren is still very much in the race. But it is interesting, and it shows Biden continuing to be a very weak frontrunner, and uh, Sanders not only holding his uh, his very strong and passionate support, holding a base critical uh, look at Donald Trump, but at least in Biden, in, in uh, Senator Sanders' case, it's a base that wants social justice, uh, but he also may be expanding beyond that base. And with that, we're going to have to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Uh, we, uh, we have some bad news. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about what happened yesterday, and that would be Wednesday at the Wisconsin uh, School Board Association. Um, it's otherwise known as WASB, and it is essentially, uh, it's about a delegation, about 300 school board members from all across Wisconsin. They meet annually. Uh, and, you know, set out goals and priorities. And one of the um, things that became very contentious, um, unfortunately, this year was a proposal from um, Citizen Action Co-op uh, member and Wausau School Board President Tricia Zunker to retire school districts from using Native American mascots or nicknames. And it's quite frankly a very, I would describe it as humble proposal that, you know, 
says we should stop using these, right? And just really leaning into how damaging these are. Um, but unfortunately, it it went down overwhelmingly. Um, what was it? Two hundred plus votes to a hundred. It was over two to one in opposition, and largely around you know this idea that um, local control is super important, uh, and we don't want to be about superseding local control. Claire, some clarity on this uh, this this stinker. I I will say that I am not. Um I'm not particularly surprised, I'll say, um, that, that the resolution wasn't supported. Um, I, I thought there was a, a decent chance um, that it might not be. I'm certainly extremely disappointed, and I am surprised that it was such a strong um, majority for, for not supporting the resolution. Um, I, I thought that there would be a greater number of folks uh, who who would want to be on the right side of history of this issue? Uh, so it's it's really um, it's really disappointing, and I'm thinking today a lot about uh, students um, who have um, a Native American heritage um, and and how uh, it must feel to have the elected leaders of your educational environment uh, and of your community say say that these uh, racist uh, and harmful images can continue to exist, uh, especially if you are in a school that has a mascot like this, that gets to sort of, you know, show up to, to school and pep rallies and sporting events and, and see it around and see it on logos and, you know, school attire and paraphernalia and whatnot. Um, so, so my heart goes out to these students. Um, I think uh, we, we should be applauding Trisha Zucker for taking taking on this fight, um, for, for taking it uh, as far as she has. Uh, and also thank her because uh, I know she's not going to stop fighting this fight just because um, the WASB voted in this way. Um, so, yep, disappointed for sure. Robert? Yeah, as I guess I, I'm not surprised, uh, unfortunately, because those who think we live in a post-racial society, we can provide lots of uh evidence, you know, that that is not the case. Uh, this is certainly a continuing example of that. And, you know, I grew up in Illinois where in downstate Illinois, we used to debate them. Uh, Pekin, Illinois, uh, their high school was literally called the Pekin Chinks for decades. I'm saying I'm trying to use that word. And, uh, and literally it just went on and on and on. So we're not too far removed from that. Just think about the Washington, D.C. NFL football team, who I will not use their name. And so what I th saw disturbing in the press coverage, obviously I wasn't there. Claire and I are out in D.C., but of the, the meeting of the Wisconsin Association of School Board, is they seem to have more care about the local prerogatives of individual school districts uh, than a whole constituency, a whole a group of people that have been oppressed throughout American history and marginalized, and, of course, that genocide committing against them. And uh, it, it, just doesn't, it just seems like we need to get to a point where we listen to the directly impacted folks. And I heard see nothing in the media coverage indicating that Native Americans were suggesting this is a good idea. But I saw quotes from McQuanago High School, a privileged suburban high school, about how they're always going to be the Indians. Well, I'm sorry, but that, that, that demand uh, takes a very far back seat. The 
the need to recognize the dignity of everyone in America and everyone in Wisconsin. Yeah, Robert, I want to build on that by saying that this um, justification, this idea of local control being the reason why um, governmental or quasi-governmental bodies should uh, not um, try to you know, infringe upon you know, people's abilities to do whatever they want is, um, is, is part of a long-standing tradition in this country, right? I mean, there is, there is a, a rich history of Americans using the idea of local control to justify all kinds of um, racist or discriminatory practices and policies. Um, and, and that, you know, goes um, right back to the history of uh, of slavery, for example, sort of like the ultimate example of, of states' rights being local control and being able to justify why some states could be free states and some states could be slaveholding states. Um, and, and this is um, certainly, I don't want to um, minimize <laughs> um, uh, the, the horror of, of slavery by overly comparing um, this um, situation with mascots to that, um, but the logic uh, is is very similar, um, and we need to be pushing back on this idea um, that that it is more important to protect local control than it is to um, protect the the rights of uh, oppressed uh, people, and uh, that that discriminatory practices um, such as uh, these these harmful mascots, um, you know, are, are just the price that we have to be willing to pay um, to protect something like local control. Um, when, in, when in fact, uh, you know, if these school district leaders um, would do the right thing um, and step up and change the mascots on their own, wouldn't um, really need to have this conversation, um, but they're not. And so we have every right as a society to build mounting pressure um, and, and try to get them to do, to do the right things as they won't do it on their own. Yeah, uh, Erica Connor is the name of the McQuanago school board member who spoke up. Um, look, she does. She stands in a line of segregationists who use this track of focus of local control. In fact, she flat out said, I don't know, it's a good use of our time to debate to debate the uh, mascot logo here. Instead, focus on local control. She'd rather talk about local control than this issue, which um, both of you laid out how this impacts people. Um, native folks, can you imagine, right? Like, not only is this about your own school district, Trisha Zunker does a really good job of talking about how kids travel, right? Like, they got to go to other schools and play games, right? So, you got to go into this gym or wherever and have this imagery all around you. So, it doesn't just stay to that local district. This local control bleeds. So, even that really terrible argument. I don't even think it applies because this goes well beyond. Um, but anyways, I just I wanted to make sure we talked about this, not only just to thank Tricia and other school board leaders um, who have taken a lead on this and haven't cowered uh, to the lowest of our instincts um, and make sure that this continues to get attention. Uh, but we got a two and a half minutes left, and I do want to just make sure uh, uh, we mention the voter purge update. Uh, we've been talking about this every week because it's very important. Um, the suit last week we mentioned was was stopped, stayed, and 
uh, which looked like, right, we're going to get past spring elections without the purge. But this week, it is worth pointing out that Will and the conservatives uh, did appeal this to the Supreme Court. So we'll be hearing more, uh, but just wanted to give any of the panelists an opportunity uh, with the last minute and a half, if they have any thoughts on this. So I'll just say that uh, part of the appeal to the Supreme Court was that the appellate court had not given a reason, and in the middle of the process, they provided their actual text. And they say it's not within the power of the Election Commission to purge the rolls. It's local units of government, and that the, and therefore the uh, plaintiffs are likely to win that at the Election Commission. Now, that does, I'm not a lawyer, might suggest that they can now start suing local units of government to demand a purge. And I'm sure there's endless Koch Brother and Bradley Foundation might to support the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty's attempt to sabotage the vote in Wisconsin and deny people a fundamental right. With that... We are going to bring this Battleground podcast to a close. I want to thank Claire and Robert for uh, joining us, uh, taking a break from your busy convention to, to do the show. Thank you very much. And as always, want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the show happen every week. So we want to thank Revolution Radio and their four power-blasting radio stations for um, airing our show. We really appreciate it. Um, They're doing an amazing service to democracy. But with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin again with Citizen Action. 